Now, this is what I'd like us to do this morning as we get started. I'd like for you just to all hold your hands up like this. No one's taking your picture. We're not a Pentecostal church, okay? So just relax. Hold your hands up like this. Let's all do it. Now, I want you to look at the back of your hands, all right? Let me just give you a little comment here. My wife says my hands are so ugly. When we got married, she would let the photographer take pictures of them. But by the way, okay, keep, <laughs> keep looking at the back of your hands, and I want, to ask you the, I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I doing with my hands? All right, now I want you to keep your hands up. I want you to turn your hands over. And now I want you to look at the inside of your hands. And I want you to drop them down like this. And now I want you to ask yourself the question, what did Jesus do with his hands? Jesus did what? He served others. Jesus loved others. Jesus taught others. He taught others with his hands. And we need to serve others. We need to love others. We need to teach others. Now we began this series on Father's Day um, and we began it talking about salt. Remember this thing? You still got yours maybe some of you? The really dedicated committed ones. Salt. We started our day talking about salt and we started our day talking about buckets. Now, what was the correlation between salt and the bucket? What was the correlation? There was no correlation. All right? I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing with you. No correlation. No correlation at all. But Jesus, maybe we can make one up right now, but there was no correlation. But I'm glad someone found one. Um, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. No correlation. But Jesus said we're supposed to be what? We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to influence our surrounding. We're supposed to bring out the best in others. And salt is a preservative. Salt releases flavor. We're supposed to release flavor. Jesus, that's the flavor as a Christ follower in our culture, in our surroundings. So we're supposed to lead. We're supposed to influence. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Now, how do we do that? How do we release that flavor in Christ? How do we release Christ in other people? Well, the way we do that is by putting our, what's this called? Putting our dipper to work. We've got to put our dipper to work. And we talked about how inside of each one of us is a bucket. And when that bucket is empty, we feel how? Awful, empty. And when the bucket is full, we feel full, free, alive. And as we go through life, we either can serve others out of our bucket and be a servant, or we can be a self-servant. We can self-serve. We can always be dipping from others, say it's all about me and my needs and me, 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 you know? And we're constantly self-serving from others rather than living our life serving and being a servant like, like Jesus was. And we talked about a guy by the name of Dr. Donald Clifton and how he was a, a psychologist, and he devoted his life to studying people and what they did right. And he discovered what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago, that it is truly more blessed, more of a blessing to give than it is to receive. And when they studied people, they found that people, when they lived their life to serve others rather than to be served, they were full. Their bucket was full. And what they also found out, and it just, it, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive. Counter I get it right, Brent? I mean, it, it's counterintuitive to think that if you're serving out of yourself, that your bucket's going to be full. 
But what they found and what we find is that when you serve, when you give, when you love, when you teach, God somehow supernaturally, miraculously, he fills up your bucket. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you what? By what you give. When you use your dipper to give to others rather than to get from others, God supernaturally fills us up. See, when we give, we live. We live out of God's abundance rather than the scarcity of an empty life. So we need to serve others. We need to be a servant rather than being self-servant. And last week, uh, we worked really hard. I worked really hard to really try to draw a clear distinction between having a servant heart and having a self-serving heart. Remember that? And uh, you all remember that. Nod your head anyways. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, and some of you kind of ask, you know, well, how, how can a self-serving person, because we all have this tendency, we, we talked about last week how we're born with this need for everyone to serve me, and how do we grow and develop? How do we move from being self-serving to becoming a servant? And three comments. Number one is have a near-death experience. Have a near-death experience. I mean, sign me up for that, right? Anybody want to volunteer? Um, sounds exciting. Um, but I, I, I'm being very honest. I mean, it's called a Scrooge phenomenon. That's when uh, people get in touch with their own mortality. And when you get in touch with your own mor mortality, you begin to see life differently. When you got a second chance at life, when you realize you're kind of living on borrowed time, we start to realize that life is more about giving than life is about getting. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says this, sometimes it takes a painful situation a near-death experience to make us, read it with me, change our ways. And unfortunately, some of us might need a near-death experience to really change our ways and to help us to really begin to live like Jesus. Now, a second way a self-serving person can become, a, can become more like Jesus and have a servant heart is by having a spiritual awakening. And two weeks, ago we talked, two weeks ago, I talked about a guy that I really uh, love his books. is by a guy by the name of Dr. Ken Blanchard. He's kind of a business guru, consultant, was a sociology professor, and then he became a business consultant. He's written over 35 books on organizational leadership. And he talked about how at the age of 47, he didn't have a clue who Jesus was. And he was challenged to begin to read about Jesus, and he read about Jesus. He saw that everything he was teaching on leadership was, was magnified, was demonstrated so perfectly and precisely in Jesus. And he had a spiritual awakening at the age of 48. He was, quote, born again, his words, taken from Jesus' encounter with a young, wealthy leader by the name of Nicodemus. John writes about this in John 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, We know that you are a teacher. You're a teacher. We know that you're a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is, and underline that, circle that, unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, he cannot see, he cannot enter, he cannot experience the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, just like one is born physically, we need to be born spiritually. 
And we're born spiritually when the Holy Spirit helps us to see that we are a sinner, that we're all sinners, and that we personally need a Savior to save us from our sins. A third way, a self-serving heart can become and develop a servant heart is by doing life with a servant leader. And we're going to see that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples today. But when you have a positive role model in your life, their behavior begins to rub off on yours. The Apostle Paul said, listen, you follow me as I follow Christ. He told the Christians at Philippi, dear brothers and sisters, what's the next word? Pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. My mother followed the example, the Apostle Paul. My mother followed the example of Jesus Christ. She is a true servant leader. And she was constantly, constantly putting the needs of others before her own. She was a school teacher. Those of you who are school teachers, you know what it's like. You're constantly pouring out. You're constantly, if you love what you do and if you love your kids and if you love God, you're constantly pouring into their lives. And she would be pouring into their lives and then we'd drive home together and she was constantly pouring into my life and the life of my siblings. And she taught me how to live. She taught me how to lead like Jesus. I mean, she did. She taught me to put Jesus first in everything and put others second and put yourself last. I mean, my mother was full of joy and she practiced that and it rubbed off on me. Now today we want to kind of look specifically at how Jesus taught others. You know, it's interesting that Jesus Christ, without a doubt, is the most universally accepted greatest leader of all time. I mean, regardless of your theological position, if you believe Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary or if Jesus was actually the Son of God, Jesus is still respected as the greatest leader in the history of the world. And so often when you talk about Jesus, you talk about his message and what he taught. Today we want to look at his method and how he taught his method of teaching. See, to live like Jesus, each one of us, we need to teach like Jesus. Can we say that together? To live like Jesus, we need to teach like Jesus. So how did Jesus teach? Now, this is fascinating to me. You know, we spend so much time, and I think it's a good thing, talking about the message of Christ. But sometimes we forget. We overlook his method. What was his method of teaching? Two things. Number one, life coaching. Number two, life lessons. Life coaching, life lessons. Life coaching, number one. Look at, with me at Mark chapter three. We read, he went up to a mountain and he called what? To who? To him. He, he called to him those whom he desired. He chose the ones he wanted. He called to him those that he desired, and they came to where? They came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, 12 disciples. And what was his plan? Read it with me, can you? So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Jesus' method of teaching was life on life. That's right. I mean, he wanted his disciples with him. It's called the with him principle of teaching. Can you say that? The with him principle of teaching. 
Today, sometimes people refer to it as performance-based coaching or life coaching. It's what every good parent does every day of your life. You pour yourself into your children by being what? With them. Now, when all my kids were back at the house, back when they were younger, it's kind of a joke in our house that uh, my kids would often say, you know, dad can't do anything without someone helping him. I mean, they kind of laugh and make fun and say, you know, dad can't even wash his car by himself. Now, let me ask you, do you think I can wash a car by myself? I like washing my car. I can probably afford to pay someone to wash my car, and most of the times I still wash it myself because I like washing my car. Now, did I have my kids always out there helping me wash my car because I needed their help? No. Was it because I was lazy? Did I stand there and just squirt and let them do all the work? No. You can ask them. I had them with me because I wanted to be with them. I wanted to be with them. Now, they always didn't want to be with me, <laughs> especially as they got older, you know, and I remember sometimes, you know, you're going with me to Home Depot if you want to go or not. Get in the car. And if you saw me outside of this church office, rarely would you ever see me without one of my kids with me. I always had one of them with me. Wherever I went, wherever I, whatever I did, I had one of them, if not two or three of them with me because I wanted to be with them. Mano e mano. You know, father to son, father to daughter, mano y mano, man to man. Now, speaking of washing the car, my wife can wash a mean car. Now, when I married her, she couldn't cook, but she could wash a mean car. Now, she's a great cook today. Everybody that's been over our house or been around us, you know, she's an incredible cook, but she's still a better car washer. And if I could just get her to wash my car. But that's another subject for another day. But she can wash a mean, mean car. Better than Charbel. And Charbel can really wash a mean car. You ever see Charbel's cars? You know? Um, so why, why is that? Why can't my wife wash a mean car? Well, her dad, um, Bob, uh, Jan would say, didn't do a lot with her. But he washed the car with her every Saturday. You know, and they just didn't wash the car. I mean, it was detailed. Bob used to own a chain of gas stations, so he knew about cars. And they would do the door jams. If I ever washed a car, you know, the door jams don't need to be done every week. My personal opinion, it's a preference, you know. Um, but we got to do the door jams every week. And we got to armor all the tires. I mean, the works. He was her life coach when it came to washing the car and taking care of her car. And by the way, also balancing the checkbook. She can balance a mean checkbook. My wife has all kinds of talent. If we can just get her to wash my car, it'd be just wonderful. Now, Jan's mom, Pat, she was an incredible cook. But Jan couldn't cook a thing when I married her. I mean, literally, she would burn the water. It would be gone, you know? <laughs> now, now, why was that? We see Jan's mom, and even to this day, she was 89 the other day, and we ate over there, but I could see this. Even to, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> when Jan was little, her mom would not let her in the kitchen. She wasn't allowed in the kitchen. She had to watch and observe from a distance. 
See, you learn by doing. You learn by being with someone. Jesus chose his disciples so they might be with him. It was his plan to be with them. Ken Blanchard says, coaching is the most important, the most important servant leadership element in helping people to accomplish their goals. We need to bring out the best in others by being with them. We need to bring out the best in our coworkers and our employees and our friends by being with them. So how did Jesus teach? He taught, number one, by what? Life coaching. Number two, with life lessons. Throughout the Gospels, you read it. I mean, it's beautiful. Jesus was constantly teaching life lessons. He was constantly focusing not on knowledge but on life application. He was constantly focusing on life experiences. I call it the with him process of learning or the with him process of discipleship. Look at Mark chapter uh, 3 verse 14 again. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be, what's the word? With him. Are you with me? So they might be what? With him. And he might send them out to preach. In Matthew chapter 4 we see the call. He calls the disciples, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then we have the commission at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry. In Matthew 28, therefore, he tells his disciples, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And from the call... To the commission, some three and one half years, Jesus transformed his disciples from a bunch of ragtag, untrained novices to master teacher apostles who go out and give their life for the preaching of the gospel. How did he do it? How did he do it? Well, some feel that he used this with him process of discipleship, this with him process of learning that Joseph taught him in becoming a master carpenter, a tradesman today, same thing back then. In order for Jesus to follow in his dad's footsteps, becoming a master carpenter went through four different phrases. Number one is novice. That's someone just starting out. And then you become an apprentice, someone who's in training. And then you become a journeyman, someone capable of working independently. And then you ultimately become a master teacher, someone highly skilled, able to teach and empower others. So Jesus brought his disciples from a state of dependence, novice, apprentice, to independence, journeyman, to interdependence, master teachers. And he changed the world. He changed the world by his method of teaching. He changed the world. So I'd like for us to dive in deeper and look at how he changed the world. This learning, this with him process of learning. Number one, Jesus was with his novice disciples. Back in Matthew chapter 4, it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, what were their name? Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. And they were fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, 
Come, be my disciple, be my learners, be my followers. And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went, what's the words? With him. See, Jesus saw in these hard-working commercial fishermen the raw material of the future leaders of his church. And he calls them. And he calls them to live for a higher purpose. Rather than just living for, you know, to get, being a commercial fisherman, nothing wrong with it. I want you to learn to live your life to give so your bucket will be full. I want you not to be fishermen, but to be fishers of men. And Peter and Andrew were excited about it. But they had no idea how to accomplish it. It's fun to watch this and see this. Now you flip over to John chapter 3, verse 22, at the very beginning again. It says, Jesus and his disciples, they went to Judea where he stayed. What's the words? He went there and he stayed with them, the disciples, for a while and was baptizing people. You see, he was with them. He was training them on how to baptize people, how to become fishers of men. Novices need basic information. They need to know what, when, where, why, how to do something. And let us, none of us, forget ever that novices, that we're all novices at different points and different times in our lives. Whenever we're learning something new, we're a what? A novice. And hopefully you're learning something new, if not every day, at least once a week. And hopefully we're learning something new and we have that attitude that says, teach me, for I'm ignorant. Not that I know it all. I'm a novice. Teach me, for I'm ignorant. And then in Matthew chapter 10, you can look at it later, verses 5 through 11, Jesus sends his disciples out for the first time, and he gives them very specific instruction. He tells them where to go and where to stay and what to say and what to take with them and and how to do it. He gives them clear communication of, of, of what's next and how to do what. And he was there with them. And they went. You know, I remember my, when my kids were, were first learning to swim. And maybe you remember when your kids were first learning to swim. And I don't know what method you picked, but, you know, I didn't pick the method of just taking the kid and throw him in the pool and say, swim. I got in the pool what? With them. And I paddled and kicked with them. I, I love the water. I grew up, born in Miami, grew up here in South Florida. I love the water. I wanted my kids, even though I have fair skin, I wanted my kids to, to love the water like I did. And so I got in the pool with them. With them. You know, we mess up as parents. We mess up as leaders. We mess up as grandparents. When we don't invest our time to do things with them they're around us all the time rather than doing it ourselves or doing it for them we need to do it how with them with them when we don't take the time and invest in the people around us we are not living like Jesus Jesus was with his novice disciples and Jesus was with his apprentice disciples As Jesus kind of continued his plan of being with them, he continued to coach them. One time in Matthew 17 now, they've been doing some training here, the disciples apparently failed in healing a boy. And the father of a boy kind of does an end around, you know, these disciples, they didn't get the job done, so they kind of go to Jesus, you know, 
How does that make you feel? And so the father's boy comes to Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 15, and says this, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. How do you think the disciples felt? A little discouraged? I beget, they, I beget, I bet they began. All right, try to say that with me. I bet they began, that's right. I beget they began to realize that they were not competent to handle every situation. They must have felt frustrated. Maybe even a little embarrassed. You know, sometimes the people in our lives, they become discouraged. And if we don't serve them, if we don't help them, they soon become disillusioned. And they quit. And they drop out. Now, notice how Jesus responds to the disciples' disillusionment. Look at verse 18. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You didn't have enough faith, guys. I assure you, even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Alone, and in private, Jesus gave his disciples the truth. Guys, you don't have enough faith. And what is missing today so often in our counseling, in our performance-based coaching, and our parenting is the truth. The truth. We're so afraid to share the truth with the people we love and lead. But Jesus said the truth will set you free now listen please understand this jesus never attacked his disciples with the truth but out of love he would be honest with them and he would share the last 10 percent and that's what every son and every daughter needs that's what every co-worker employee needs we also desperate desperately need to know the truth about ourselves and how are we being salt and light if we don't share in grace and love the truth? To live like Jesus is to teach like Jesus. And to teach like Jesus is to share the truth. It's vital that we provide clear direction, clear information in a loving manner. I remember one time when my kids were, uh, they all went to uh, grandparents' house. They lived up in Stewart at the time, and my kids were there with their three um, uh, cousins, um, the Burgles. And uh, my parents had a, a fiberglass slide at their house, in the pool there at their house. And my kids kind of discovered that if you pulled your pants down and you bare-butted it, you could slide down the slide a lot faster. So they were pulling their pants down and bare-butting going down the slide. And my dad's up on the second floor and he caught them. And so he comes stumbling down the stairs, makes all of them get out of the water. And then he calls grandma. She's at work. Tells her to come home and discipline the grandkids. 
<laughs> and so my mom comes home and she disciplines the kids and you know she calls me and tells what's going on and I just start laughing because it sounded like something I would do you know I mean I'm into speed and going down that slide as fast as I could and I probably would have been doing the same thing but anyways you know you know when she did that and I picked my kids up and they came back home you know and they were sad and very apologetic for taking their pants down and all that kind of stuff um but, you know, I, I reflected back on growing up. You know, my, my parents, they disciplined me. But I don't remember being demeaned. I mean, I would feel their discipline when I was little. And I don't remember feeling devalued. And I'd make a mistake or a poor judgment on my part. And they never beat me up with their words. They never made me feel like a failure. But they didn't shy away from the truth. And the truth hurts sometimes. They would tell me that I'm a brat, and they were right. I'm being selfish, and they were right. Jesus lovingly comes behind his disciples. He cleans up their mess. He expresses the truth in love. And this is what it's like to live like Jesus. If we're going to live like Jesus, we need to teach like Jesus. And we need to teach with grace and with truth. Jesus was with his novice and apprentice disciples. Number three, Jesus was with his journeyman disciples. Now, a journeyman is someone who have, has developed, who has spent some time with a master teacher. A journeyman is someone who has de demonstrated characteristics of a good leader, a good worker, of their craft. Matthew records this story, and I think Peter's an example of a, of a great journeyman. He was learning. He was getting better. He was confident. And the disciples find themselves in this story on the Sea of Galilee. And when the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking it was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, guys. I'm here. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Then Peter called to him, Oh, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat, and he walked on the water towards Jesus. That's a journeyman for you. He had some confidence. He was going to do it. But when he looked, what does it say? Around at the waves, he was, what's the word? terrified and he began to sink save me he shouted now it took great faith to get out of that boat and to begin to walk to Jesus I mean the other disciples the other 11 disciples they stayed in the comfort and the security of the boat Peter being the journeyman you know he gets out of the boat and he being Jesus, the only one who ever accomplished the feat, you know, of walking on water. I mean, I'd love to be able to walk across my pool. I mean, you know, Peter got to experience that. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started focusing on all his problems, on all the storms in his life and the waves, he begins to do what? Sink. Now notice this. Jesus didn't let him drown. Jesus didn't think, you know, it deserves him right. It's all his fault. I need to teach him a lesson. Let's let him go down a couple times, and then I'll pick him out of the water. <laughs> Is that what we do as parents, you know? Jesus provided support. Look at verse 31. What's it say at the beginning of verse 31? What's that word there? Instantly. Say it again. Instantly. instantly, instantly Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. 
You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Why'd you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Jesus acted immediately. He put his arms around Peter, walks him back to the boat. He tells him, you don't have much faith. He tells him the truth. You can't change. You can't grow. You can't develop. You can't become a master teacher. Someone doesn't tell you the truth. You don't have much faith. And then he shows him support. You don't need to doubt me, Peter. Peter, I'll always be there for you. And because Jesus was with him, he was able to teach him this great life lesson that he is always, always with us. Jesus was an incredible teacher because he was with them. He was with them and we're with him, aren't we? With them. Number four, Jesus was his master teacher disciple. Jesus was with his master teacher disciples. Now, you guys focusing, you kind of got distracted there a little bit. Ascending someone to act on your behalf is the highest form of validation of your trust that you can place in someone. Sending someone to act, to speak, to represent you is the highest form of trust. Highest form of trust. See, Jesus put his complete trust in his disciples in spite of their failures, in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their shortcomings. He trusted them. And he said they were ready to become master teachers like himself. So he gives them what we call the Great Commission. At the end of his life, he says, guys, listen, you're ready to be master teachers. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to act and live on my behalf. Jesus has given us as Christ followers the great commission for us to act and live on Christ's behalf. To see us should mean to see Jesus. We're supposed to act and live on Christ's behalf. He has trusted us to act and live on his behalf. And he promised them. He said that he would be with them. He said, and be sure of this. I am, what's the words? With you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 1, he gives them his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to be with us. So we can live for him. We can live as representatives. So we can live and act on his behalf. You see, God wants to use you with all your imperfections, with all your flaws. God wants to use me with all my imperfections, with all my flaws to be salt and light, to influence my surrounding. God wants to use me and God wants to use you to, to bring out the best in others. God wants to use you. God wants to use me to release flavor, to release the flavor of Jesus Christ in others. 
God wants to use you to go into your neighborhoods, to go into your communities, to go into your places of work, into your families, and to truly be fishers of men, to be salt and light, to make a difference in this world. So the question is, will you pick up your dipper? Will you pick up your bucket and will you start serving others? Start pouring yourself out and giving of yourself to others? You see, the key to being effective as a servant and serving others is a willingness to spend time with them. Salt can't penetrate. Salt can't preserve. Salt can't release its flavor if it's not with them. And if you want to make an impact with your life, you've got to be willing to commit your time to be with them. With them. Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed. Maybe this morning you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your master teacher. Maybe right now you need to uh, have a spiritual awakening by acknowledging right now, by saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. Can you pray that? Jesus, forgive me. I want you to be the spiritual leader, the Savior and Lord of my life. And can all of us pray this morning? God, help me to teach others. God, help me to lead others. God, help me to be salt and light like you've called me to be, to be fishers of men. God, help me to be with them be with them. Some of us need to pray this morning and say, God, help me to be with my neighbors more because they're far from God. Help me to be with my family more. Help me to be with my coworkers more. God, help me to teach others well. Can we pray right now? Can you pray and say, God, help me take advantage of the time that I have with my children? God, help me to be so aware that I'm with them and they're with me as a grandparent. God, help me take advantage of the time I have with my coworkers and my neighbors. Help me to be with them. Help me to be a better boss. Help me to be a better leader. Help me to be a better friend. Help me to be a better person. God, we pray this morning that you will help us to be your hands and your feet. God, help us to learn. Help us not to be know-it-alls. Help us to, to be teachable. Help us to be like that novice. Help us to grow. Help us to become better leaders, better people of influences. Help us, God, to be your hands and your feet because we're all people have today when it comes to knowing who Jesus is. Help us to be your representatives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.